Hello, and thank you for joining us for our Watershed Sermon Podcast. Watershed is a worshiping community within Harderwijk Ministries. We gather at 9.45 a.m. in the Anchor Building on the Harderwijk campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Watershed community and Harderwijk Ministries, please visit harderwijk.com. So as I mentioned, we've been kind of journeying in this Advent season, thinking about the Jesus who has come, the Jesus who will come, and the series has been the Christmas story, not a Christmas story. And yes, I watched a Christmas story yesterday, and again, just love it. Oh, little Ralphie. Um, But that being said, we're focused on Luke chapters 1 and 2. Luke, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, it's the third book in what's called the New Testament. So we get the Old Testament, uh, and that's primarily God's work in the, peop- the, the Israelite life, the Jewish community. And we get in the New Testament because Jesus um, re-do- is kind of not only renews and fulfills the Old Covenant, but he makes a new covenant in his own blood, in his own life. That's, we're going to celebrate communion this morning. And his covenant is one that says, hey, this isn't just about the law anymore. This is about following me. Because I'll have fulfilled the law for you. Around here at Watershed, we talk about that there is freedom in the finished work of Jesus. That the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. His rightness is now our rightness. Right? We don't have to depend or worry about God's love for us as we talk about love this morning because God has shown his radical covenant commitment to us. Ooh, big words, but we'll talk about those in just a minute. But he has shown that kind of love to us in Jesus, a love that says, I'm never leaving you. I'm never turning my back on you. I've never given up on you. I'm gonna, I've not only fulfilled my word, keep my word, but I'm going to fulfill the word that I give to you. And that love brings us life. And so we've been journeying through the story, the Christmas story, of Jesus' birth. And so today, we're actually in Luke chapter 1. I'm, I'm just going to bring us right there. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. We're going to revisit Zechariah and Elizabeth. We heard about their story a couple weeks ago. These, uh, Zechariah was a priest and then, uh, you know, he, he didn't believe the angel Gabriel said he and his wife were going to have a child. And they were beyond childbearing years. So, you know, yeah, kind of unbelievable. But he's like, yeah, show me a sign. And the, the angel basically goes, okay, you're not going to talk for the next nine months. What? <laughs> and then he came out and, and everybody was like, something must have gone on in there. Well, nine months is now up. This is where our story picks up. Elizabeth now is going to give birth to this promised child, John the Baptist, who would be the one to prepare the way for Jesus. Let's hear the scriptures this morning. Starting in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, that God had shown her compassion, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. That was the law in the Jewish community. They came to circumcise the child. It was a sign of God's covenant with the people. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. That's what the angel told them to say. They said to her, well, no one among your relatives, there's no one who has that name. 
Then they made signs to his father, right? So Zechariah can't speak, so they're trying to communicate with him to find out what he would like to name the child. How would you like that, moms? I, I don't know. That's, that was flip in our life. It was not, hey, let's find, it would be like, Aaron, what are you thinking? Okay, Kendra, what do you really think? <laughs> you know, like, it wasn't going this way. <laughs> so they go to John instead, right? What are you, and, and so all of a sudden, right, he asked for a writing tablet. It's the only way he can communicate. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Let me just pause a second. The name John literally means God is gracious. That God is showing in his, his, his favor, his unearned, unmerited favor to his people. Right? That's God's love for us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we could do, no, no amount of performing that, could, that, that would have him give us more. He already gives everything he's got to us. And so Zechariah says, his name is John. And then what do we read in verse 64? That sign of his silence becomes a new sign. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Sometimes our silence in our waiting does a work in us, and it did a work in Zechariah. All the neighbors, verse 65, were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of the Judean people, they were talking about these things, right? So this, this sign is going out. The word is going out, verse 66. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Right? God was showing, God was performing this miraculous deed, not only in giving Zechariah and Elizabeth a child, but through this, this gift of silence to Zechariah, and now the loosening of his tongue to speak, God goes, I am acting. In this appointed moment in history, I'm doing something special. His, his let's say, giving back of voice is, is, in essence, a sign of what God will do when Jesus comes finally in full. He's going to give us our voices back, right? That which, seems to be of that which seems to have been taken away is now going to be restored. That's the new kingdom that we look forward to one day. The restoration of all things. This sign breaks in. And John would prepare the way for Jesus. And that's, again, Jesus has been central to our Advent message. Throughout this season, we've talked about hope. That when we met Zachariah and Elizabeth, they had none. Not for a child, at least. Really, God's prophecies, there wasn't much there over 400 years for the people. It seemed like God was pretty quiet. They were wondering where God was, what God would do. They were being faithful. But there wasn't necessarily a lot of hope. And so when the promise of John the Baptist and the promise of Jesus broke in, there was a realization that a God who promises is also a God who keeps his promise. And if we trust in him, we have a certainty. We have a sure and certain hope. Hope, when we think about it as Christians, is not a wish or a whim. It's actually a confidence and a certainty based on a God who fulfills what he says, who has done and made good on his promises. 
We've also talked throughout that peace would come, that this peace we talk about is a wholeness, just like Zechariah getting his voice back, and this peace is also a contentment. It carries us through the ups and downs in life. It carries us through the challenges. It carries us through some of the, the darkest moments. Peace, when it's in Christ, has the ability to not only surpass our understanding, but to guard our hearts and our minds, even though it seems like there's nothing else that can hold us. Last week we talked about then joy and celebration. We get to peek in and Zachariah and Elizabeth as John comes in, right? There's this joy. There's this celebration that as Christians we believe in joy and celebrations here in the moment, right? But we also know that we anchor our lives in a God who is in the past as well. A God who has done good things and so we also get to look back. We don't just get to look at the moment because sometimes momentary joys, they're fleeting. But we can look at a God who's done great things. But as Christians, too, we're anchored, because we're anchored in a sure and certain hope, our joy is also in things to come. We know that even though things may be rough, there can be healing. There will be healing in life. And today we get to hear, again, what did the people say? They, they came to Elizabeth, the scriptures tell us, because God has shown his mercy. We heard it through the kids this morning as they read from Psalm. Mercy also is the steadfast love of God. That the love of God in this Advent season, when we look to Jesus, when we look even to the birth of John, the love of God is God's radical commitment to the world. But it's not just commitment as in, uh, what, what should we say, uh, I'm... Uh, contract. How about, we'll put it that way. It's not a commitment that says, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. I mean, how much of our life is based on contractual living? If thens. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And, and then we, we take that into our marriages, we take that into our friendships, we take that sometimes into our parenting, right? But, but the love of God, what we're going to see today with Zechariah, because we didn't just get to hear that Zechariah's tongue was loose, we're going to get to hear what he has to say the love of God is something different. Dave Willis, uh, he's a pastor and author, and he writes this about love, and I think it encompasses much of what we're talking about today. That God's love, and a love that looks like God's, is an unconditional commitment to selflessly serve, truthfully communicate, fearlessly protect, graces gracefully forgive, compassionately heal, and enduringly remain in relationship with and for the sake of another. When I came across this, I was like, wow, yeah, this is getting at what it means that love is not just a commitment, it's a covenantal commitment. Now, I know covenant is strange, but I talk about this when I do premarital, have premarital conversations with couples, getting ready to get married. I talk about this as couples come and talk to me about what's going on in their marriages and their life. I talk about, uh, one of the first things we'll talk about and we'll wrestle with is, what is love? How do you define love? Because the world defines love in one way, oftentimes affections, emotion. Is there a part of love that has our emotions in it? Absolutely. But oftentimes we limit our understanding of love to an emotion, to an affection, or how about this, an infatuation. Amen? Anyone? 
wow, Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> right, we reduce love to merely the emotion. Guess what? You can't build a marriage on that. It ain't going to last long. It ain't going to survive. Guess what? It's hard to build a friendship on that. It's hard to build something that will last. Or how about this? We also have a definition of love that exists in our society that goes, you need to affirm everything I believe and hold on to, otherwise you don't love me. That means you need to agree with everything I think, otherwise you don't love me. Well, guess what? What we're going to find out about God's love is that's not love. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I need a love that's willing to tell me I'm a knucklehead. Amen? You can say that, yes. <laughs> right? I need a love that helps me know when I'm on a wrong course. Because if we actually understand and agree and think that sin exists in this life, that means some of the natural things in our life isn't actually right. Some of the thoughts I have aren't always the most helpful. Some of the things running through my mind and my heart get pretty messed up, if I'm honest. So real love says, no, I don't need to affirm everything that you believe or you think. Because sometimes that affirmation would be incredibly dangerous, and it would be leading you down some that would hurt you and harm you. Why would I affirm something that would harm you? Right? We, we don't do that. That's not God's love. That may be what the world is telling us, but if, if we buy it, man, we're missing something. So let's look at God's covenantal love, his radical commitment. A commitment that says, I am with you to the end. I've got your back no matter what. I've got your back so much that I would die on a cross for your life to make you right. I'm going to do what you couldn't do for yourself. Zachariah is going to open his mouth. And we're going to see what God's love is really about. Verse 67, let's hear his song. In Latin, this is the Benedictus, praise the Lord. So his father, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and he's redeemed them. He's taken them back. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. That means he has shown his power. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. There's that word covenant. His holy promise, his faithfulness. Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness. So in purity and in perfection before him all of our days. And then he looks at John and you, my child, you're going to be called a prophet of the most high. You're going to go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And then we hear, and the child grew, grew and he became strong in the spirit 
And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So what am I seeing this morning? What, as we think about love, God's covenantal commitment, what am I seeing in what Zechariah pro- prophesies or, or sings over to the people and over his son, what love, the love of God is and looks like? Well, first, the love of God is a love that sees us. In verse 68, it says, he has come to his people. The idea is, in other translations, it will it'll mean that God has visited his people. This is anchored deeply in a Hebrew word called that is a pakad. In pakad throughout the Old Testament, it means that God, first of all, sees us. That God isn't unaware of you. He sees you. He's not looking away from you. He's not turning his back on you. He sees you. He sees you fully. Fully in your flaws, fully in your successes. And when he sees you, he knows you. He knows you by name. He knows every hair in your head. He knows the inner workings of your life. He sees you. I wonder sometimes if we think God is paying attention in our lives. I know there have been times where I'm like, God, are you paying attention? Are you aware? This Hebrew understanding of Pekad goes back to even Exodus 4. In Exodus 4, when the people were in Egypt, enslaved by Pharaoh, right? Because God's rescue in Jesus mirrors the rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt. God says to Moses, he says, I see my people. You tell them that I'm paying attention and I hear their cries. So he sees us and he hears us. But guess guess what? That that word pakad and what Zechariah is saying here also means that he shows up. When we say he's come to us, he visits us, God actually doesn't just see us and stand from afar. He actually shows up in our lives. We talked about a couple weeks ago. Yes, Jesus showed up. Jesus is going to show up again. But the Holy Spirit is present in our lives. God is present with each one of us, moving and shaking, going before us, coming behind us, surrounding us, and even, if we know Christ, indwelling us. God not only sees us, but he shows up, and God has shown up in your life. I believe that to be true. Again, look back at some of the joys that you've had. Some of the things that put a smile on your face, that have brought you to laughter. It's a trust and a truth in the scriptures. And Zacharias says, hey, listen, God has done this. You can count on the fact that God shows up and is going to show up in your life. That's good news for all of us. And as he shows up, we know he's also going to act. He saves Right, in Zechariah's prophecy, that, that's also what Pekad means, but he goes on to say it. He says he's redeemed his people. It goes on to say in verse 74 that he rescues us from our enemies. Did God want to make our lives better? Absolutely, but he wanted to first and foremost, through Jesus, save us from sin and oppression, from death and brokenness. To say there is nothing now that can separate you from the love God that is in Christ Jesus. So we have a God who sees us, 
That's what we as Christians believe. That's what we believe about the Christmas story, not just a Christmas story. We have a God who doesn't just sit on a hill on a, you know, on a pedestal far, far away with binoculars going, oh, that looks nice. No, we got a God who shows up. He's willing to actually become a human being and, and, and come into our lives. Why? Because his purpose is to save us, to rescue us. Think about a love in your life that sees, that shows up. That's willing to rescue, willing to walk with you, willing to take you from where you've been into something new and promises. Right? That's love. That's way more than simply an affection, isn't it? A love that acts. It continues. It's also a love that feels, right? We heard that Elizabeth, the, the townsfolk, even gather around because they, they heard of the mercy of God, the compassion of God. We hear in the Psalms the steadfast love of God. There's another Hebrew word for you, hesed, the loving kindness, the steadfast love of God. That God saved us because of his mercy, his compassion. We hear his grace. Right? Our God actually feels something for you. Do we deserve that feeling? No, sometimes I, I deserve something a whole lot. I, I deserve anger. I deserve impatience instead of patience. And yet God, in his covenantal commitment to us, goes, no, I'm going to, while I may not be happy with what you've done, I am not going to remove my affection from you. Think about that. Again, maybe tap into a relationship that you have currently. Somebody who goes, you know what, I'm not going to remove my affection from you because you screwed up. Talk about a love that gives life, amen? Right, you agree with me on that? I don't know about you, that's a love that breathes life. That's way more than affection. That's way more than even an affirmation. It goes, no, even when you screw up, man, I got your back. I'm not going to let that love de be dependent upon a decision. My love is bigger than that, and that's my decision. That's what God says. And this God has kept promises all throughout, right? We hear this, that he's keeping his promise. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, that he remembered his holy covenant, his holy promises. Right, that God who gives his word holds it. It's integrity, right? A love that, is, that, that says, I'm going to keep my word. And I, I'm going to keep the heart that's meant to go with that word. You can depend on it. You can take it to the bank. I know that maybe we can't trust everybody in our lives, right? That's real. Anybody, right? Yeah, some folks that you go, I don't trust you further than I can throw you. I don't make it a habit of throwing people, but, you know, just. <laughs> but a love that says, hey, listen. You can trust me. You can depend on me. And how do you get to that spot? You got to look back, don't you? You got to look back if they were trustworthy. In the Christmas story, we're reminded that the Old Testament, right? The thickest part of the Bible is filled with all kinds of promises about this definitive story. That God would right sin, brokenness, and death. God would restore our relationship with him. Now, nobody thought God would put his line, his life on the line for that. They knew he would come, but man, Jesus surprised them all. To do what he did, to say, no, I'll give my life for yours. 
I don't know about you, I can trust that person. He's fully in in the game, isn't he? He's hook, line, and sinker. If he's given everything he's got, man, I can trust that promise. A God who keeps his word. And what does Zechariah say? This love of God is a love that empowers, right? It enables us to serve God without fear. If you've been around uh, Watershed in this fall, we talked about one of the one of the roles when we were created in the image of God, we were called to be stewards in this world. That means we were, we were called to take care of this world. We were, we were called to work alongside of God hand in hand. So to serve him, but to represent him in this world. And one of the things that God's love does, it enables us to serve him without fear. Not having to worry about, again, that he's going to take his love if we screw up. Because guess what? How many of us are going to screw up trying our best to represent him in this world? All of us have. All of us will later on today. (laughs) And we will probably tomorrow. But the love of God says, you know what, though? I'm going to keep empowering you. I'm going to keep behind you. And because you know that my love isn't based on your performance... Man, I don't know about you, I'm going to get up again and I'm going to give it another shot. And he says this love empowers us in holiness and righteousness. Why? Because we can look at the one who was holy and right, the one who was pure, who lived perfectly. And we go, man, that kind of love, wow, that, that, that he would represent the fully human life. And that the same spirit that, that gave Zechariah words, The same spirit that would be in John to prepare the way, prepare the people for Jesus, is the same spirit that lives in me. And he's going to keep leading me, guiding me, right, empowering me. And that leads me to this. It's a love that guides. Right? Real love guides us. It leads us somewhere. It doesn't just accept the world as it is. Because if we believe that God has a kingdom, a pure and perfect kingdom, that God has a way that he created the world and that God saved this world and is restoring this world, that means his purpose, he he wants to guide us into it. That was the point of the law. He wants to keep guiding us into the things of life. In it, he prepares a way, right? He gives light He leads, and what he gives is what? The knowledge of salvation. What is salvation? God's forgiveness. Right? To give the people the knowledge of salvation, verse 77, the forgiveness of their sins. Again, why? Because of the tender mercy of God. Love forgives. Talking about a covenantal commitment. If my love is purely affection, emotion, forgiveness is going to be darn near impossible. Amen? If it means I have to affirm everything you believe, take it to another step. Come on. Let's do mental, good philosophical mental work. What if you choose to harm me? You choose it. I have to affirm that? No. But no, Aaron, it's only here. No, 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 you have to play it out. It's a worldview. A worldview affects everything in life. It's not merely just a belief. It's something bigger. 
forgiveness. Radical. This is not, we don't live in a world where this is part of our DNA. It's not, and in, in some ways, when sin has come into our lives, this isn't natural. <laughs> I don't know about you, I'm going to need the work of the Holy Spirit in me to forgive. But we know that real love, God's love, is one that forgives. He says, I know that you're going to struggle with keeping your word. I know you're going to make some mistakes. But I believe more about you and in you. I believe there's something more for you. And that's God in Christ saying, yeah, you've offended me. Yeah, you've harmed me. Yeah, you've chosen ways that were you thought were best that weren't my ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, but I forgive you. And I'm going to keep working for the best in you. I'm going to shine a light. And that's what Zechariah prophesies. He picks up on, Drew read it this morning in Isaiah 9. Picks up in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Prophecy in Malachi, verse 4. That the sun of righteousness will shine. That God's rightness will shine in our life. And it won't just shine on the good things. It's going to shine on the bad things. Why? Because God wants to rescue you and rescue us from the darkness. God wants us to flourish just in his ways, not necessarily in our ways. Because the God who created life knows way more about it than I could ever. Jesus shines a light because God's love shines a light in every nook and cranny to bring us into life. Covenantal commitment, love. I don't know about you, that's pretty radical. Isn't it? It's something that I can anchor my life in. Good news is it's something that we can stand upon. And this is why John writes, John who is known as the beloved, one of Jesus' best friends, 1 John 4, verses 13 and following. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit. So the, there again, we know that he gives us his spirit. If we've believed in him, we live in him. We've seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This is the Christmas story. Now, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God, and so we know and we rely on the love that God has given us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. If God is love, how we define love needs to be anchored in his love. Amen? If he's the pure and perfect definition of it, if, if we look to Jesus and go, this is what love is, folks, that's how we're called to love. It's a radical commitment to people. Not only to people that we have affection for, but Jesus will call us to people that we don't. A love that says, you know what, I might disagree with you, and that's okay. But I don't, I don't need to remove my love from you because we disagree. My love isn't dependent upon whether I agree or not with you. That, by the way, that's what you get from me as your pastor. Like, I don't have to agree with you because that, that, that doesn't determine my love for you, my commitment to you. Because at the end of the day, I want you to know Jesus is love more than anything else. Why? Because Jesus is love. Let me bring us back to Dave Willis. God's love 
Our love is an unconditional commitment to selflessly serve, to truthfully communicate, fearlessly protect, gracefully forgive, compassionately heal, and enduringly remain in relationship with and for the sake of another. Do we believe that love this morning? I'm trying to live into that love in our lives. See, I believe as we come into communion, part of what we uh, first get to enjoy, and I said this at the beginning of our worship, is that God is, Jesus has said, this is a new covenant. This is a new covenant in my, my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus will later just say, my commitment, my commandment is this, love one another as I have loved you. That in this supper, listen, you're going to be in all kinds of places today, right? I say, if, if, if you have a smidget of opening of belief in Jesus, come on up. Receive his grace, because that's his story. He says, come to my table. Call, come all who are weary and heavy burdened, I'll give you left, rest. Hey, by the way, he, he ate with sinners. <laughs> he says, come. Because this covenant is a sign and a symbol of my love for you. So come, eat, drink, receive my love, my grace. But also for those of us who know that, it's also something that like, like food, like water, like, like juice, right? It's meant to nourish us. That it's also supposed to remind us that if this is what God has done for us, this is what we're called to for each other. That we're called to love each other in that same kind of way. I don't know about you, I need help. So I trust that in this, this, this spiritual practice, that through the Holy Spirit, I might be empowered a little bit more to love my neighbor as myself. So I'm going to pray, um, and as I'm praying, I want to invite those who are serving, the band's going to come up, and then I'll give you instructions as well uh, for, for how we'll participate in this this morning. So let's pray. God, we, uh, again, just thank you for your love. Thank you that your love is not dependent upon um, 100% on a report card or 75%. It isn't about our, our posturing. It's not about our performance. It's not about how we've arrived or how much power we have or our status. Your love is simply this, it's grace, it's mercy. You choose to love because that's who you are. You're radically committed to us. You're not afraid to shine a light in the dark places. You're not afraid to stop us when we're going off path. You're not afraid to speak some truth, but you do so with compassion and grace. Always to restore us always to bring us into life. And so, Lord, today, guide us. Lead us in your truth. Help us to understand through this participation in communion what you've done for us, the depth of your love. And Holy Spirit, enable us to better love our family, our friends, our neighbors, even our enemies. Lord, to show the kind of commitment you've shown to us, to this world. Because if you meant to lead us to life, God, that's what you're going to be. And you are 
all about. So, Father, through this supper, lead us into your life through this ordinary bread, through this ordinary juice. God, do something extraordinary extraordinary through your spirit. God, we pray these prayers and many more in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our watershed community or how to support Harder Wyke Ministries, please visit us at harderwyke.com.